hashtag Tim and Friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned in to the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show with five. Oh, yeah, this is a jam-packed Tim and Friends for this Wednesday, August the 3rd. Raptors head coach Nick Nurse from his own charity golf tournament in our second hour. And in the first, I don't know, like 10 minutes, Jay's managing general, Ross Atkins, will join us fresh off a trade deadline and Jesse Rubinoff some afternoon baseball today. Jay's and Ray's afternoon delight, at least for Tampa. Yeah, well, I was going to say we love it because we love afternoon baseball, but... The result left a little to be desired. Yeah, we'll give you the highlights in just a flash. Sprinkle in a little Ken Rosenthal, some Danny Shulman. Fittingly, on a day where on our social accounts we are talking about the Mount Rushmore of sports broadcasters. Danny's play-by-play pretty damn close to my Mount Rushmore of play-by-play men as we reminisce for a spell with Danny and Rosie on the life and times of Vin Scully. Also, Adam Rank dropping by. We'll talk a little NFL and some more Deshaun Watson news. But we start with first things first. The Toronto Blue Jays, a rare noon Eastern start, looking for a mini two-game sweep in the little trop of horrors. (laughs) First things first. Hasn't been good to the Jays, but early on, good quick start. In fact... Top of the first, two on, two out. Teoscar Hernandez will double off the opener. Jalen Beeks brings home Lourdes Gurriel Jr. And Toronto had a 1-0 lead early. Meanwhile, Yusei Kikuchi's second start off the IL. After five innings of one-run ball in his last outing, two minutes for looking so good early. Struck out four of the first six batters he faced. Now top of the fourth, tied at one. Teo's been a decent pickup, hasn't he? Teoscar's had great numbers against him in his career. Hernandez drives this one into left field, going back. A Rosarena looks up, and it is gone. A solo blast. Teoscar goes yard against Yarbrough. Tabby knew it. Sixth home run and 33 career at-bats against Yarbrough. It's 2-1. Put on that jacket. Back to Kikuchi. He went four innings, allows two runs, strikes out five, but he's out before the third time through the order. In the bottom of the sixth, tied at two, man on for one of Tampa's deadline acquisitions. David Peralta off of Adam Simber makes it a 3-2 lead. Top nine, former Jay, Jason Adam on for the save. Bo Bichette didn't look good there. Two batters later, Maddie Chapman, love, peace, and hair grease to the Jays as the former Jake, Jason Adam, looks very good closing this one out. That's what the Rays do. They pitch it, and they pitched it well. Jays lose for the third time in 11 since the All-Star break. Snyder on Kikuchi. I thought it was good, you know, really good to start and kind of ran into a little bit of trouble in the third, but, you know, I think another positive outing to build off of. Um, like the command of all three pitches, minus a little bit of a hiccup in the third, I thought he uh, threw the ball really well. I think the you know, confidence is there. I think uh, the stuff is obviously there. And uh, I think he's in a good spot right now. Positive outing to build on Jesse Rubinoff. Looked really good early, striking yeah. out four of the first six that he faced. And then I thought there was some control issues with the fastball. He walked one with the 5Ks in total through four innings. And then he hit a batter. And it felt kind of like kid gloves Kikuchi here. 
Yeah, I mean, he's struggling with the same thing that he's been struggling with all season long, and that's the fastball. Like, now when he throws it, which he wasn't throwing it for a long time during the season, now he tends to lose it. And that is, I think, what John Schneider probably saw, is that he saw those two really good innings early, and then maybe it was getting away from Kikuchi a little bit, and they have sort of this fear that this guy could run into some really bad innings that take the game away from you. That's the kid gloves, though, right? Yeah, that's 100% the kid gloves. Yeah. And, and, like, the question then becomes, like, are you going to have to let him work his way out of it instead of treating him with kid gloves? Because well, what, what are you going to do? You're just going to tax – you're going to end up taxing the bullpen as you've been doing with him the whole season long. Yeah, especially with Ross Stripling going to the IL today. Right. Uh, a lot of people wondered why you – and it was because it was a game that was winnable – why exactly. you take Kikuchi out, but it was a game that was winnable, and the Jays wanted to win that game. They did not win that game, and they fall to 20-19 and 19 against the AL East, 37-28 and 28 versus everyone else. Yeah. So uh, this is a bit of a different team against the, uh, the American League East, but the American League East is just better than everybody else as well. Now the Whit Merrifield pickup, as we go back to the deadline, uh, is a, a topic of conversation today among the Jays least. fans. And it was really interesting to say the least given that he didn't come to Toronto with the Kansas City Royals and he said, listen, if it was a, a choice between playoff baseball and vaccination, I might get vaccinated. There was some pushback from the Kansas City Royals fans. In fact, he was booed at home because of that statement. He tried to walk it back a little bit. But Ross Atkins, who's going to join us in mere minutes from now, uh, I thought was being respectful when he spoke about Merrifield after the deadline yesterday, and he said this. And on the vaccination status, he was acquired right at the deadline, so that this is a very fresh um, acquisition. And so because of that, I'm not going to comment more um, on that process for him and, and let him work through that with his family. So some folks thought that that meant uh, perhaps the Jays didn't know if he would get vaccinated and join the Jays for, what, the 26 games that they have remaining at home in Canada. Here was John Schneider asked pregame today about the very same thing. Same as this morning, you know, we're kind of waiting and seeing. It's obviously, you know, a personal choice for him. Um, but looking forward to having him tomorrow in Minnesota. Does that make you feel any different? Because it was trending on Twitter and people were wondering if the Jays had picked up a guy they didn't know would be vaccinated. I, I think what Ross said, the, the Schneider didn't make me feel any better. I think what Ross said when he said he was acquired right at the deadline gave me pause because that made it sound like they didn't have time to necessarily do the due diligence to find out whether the Toronto Blue Jays qualify as one of the teams that Whit Merrifield will be ready to get or willing to get vaccinated for. Like they read the same quote that we just put up there? That, that, yeah. And decided to make a deal because it was late and they needed some help somewhere? Yeah, but I, I cannot imagine hmm. that that's the case. Like I, I would hope for their sake in the, in the public the court of public opinion that they are just being respectful of Whit Merrifield and his family and they are not potentially opening up the can of worms that is they brought someone here that is not going to play home games because they're going to get crushed if that's the case. Right. So we'll, we'll ask Ross Atkins, who's going to join us in mere moments from now. The other part of the equation when it came to the deadline was Anthony Bass, Zach Pop, and, of course, uh, Mitch White. Yeah. 
I thought the Anthony Bass pickup was way underrated by Jays fans when it came down to trying to figure out what the Jays had done here. I mean, he's pitching to a 141 ERA, a whip under one, and a FIP of 206. Like, if you match that up against all the big-name guys that Jays fans wanted, I know David Robertson has a different pedigree, so I'll Mm -hmm. give you that, Mm -hmm. but those numbers are better than any of the guys that you saw out there. No question. Do do you think it's... Potentially because the, the the swing and miss guy didn't come, and that was the narrative, right? That was the huge the narrative before the deadline. Yeah, the maybe. power arm that can yeah. get the swing and miss, and, and that didn't come. But. All right. Uh, they tell me uh, timing is everything in life, and I believe them, which is why I'm happy to interrupt first things first to talk to our first guest of the afternoon. Yes, sir. Less than 24 hours after the major league trade deadline, he is the Jays' EVP of baseball ops and the general manager, Ross Atkins. Ross, thanks for taking the time and the timing of this. No problem. Thanks for having me on, Tim. No problem. Speaking of timing, since Sunday, over and under on hours slept, if I set it at 10, are you over <laughs> 10 hours sleep or under 10 hours sleep? <laughs> over how many days did you say? I said since Sunday. Oh, since Sunday. Yeah, yeah, probably got the over <laughs> on that. You're, you're thinking yeah. about it, though. Yeah, well, the, uh, the night before was definitely it's interesting i you know i think there's not a lot happening several nights before after midnight um but the night before there's you know all bets are off all right so let me ask you uh start this interview by asking you what we asked our fans yesterday and your fans yesterday did you like your deadline yeah we were we were fired up and we still are i mean we Felt very good about our outcome. I think we could see some things coming together. We knew there were opportunities that we could move on. Um, you know, we, there were a couple of, of plays that uh, we were in that we would have also been excited about, but this we saw as a very good outcome for us. Around, we, we asked uh, our audience, and around 79% of the, I guess we're at 8,000 votes by the end, said they weren't satisfied. Say what you will about our respondents. <laughs> Do you think they're underestimating what you actually got? Like, how, how would you respond to the idea that 79% of viewers uh, said that they weren't happy with the deadline? Yeah, I mean, it's so it's so hard for me to speculate on, you know, what their concerns are in, in uh, totality and right. to respond to that in a way uh, where I could just drill down in specific areas or compare um, some of the acquisitions that were made to other acquisitions that we could have made or talk about what uh, the cost would have been and what that would have meant long term. So um, there were other opportunities that maybe, uh, you know, I, dare I say, have been more popular. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that comes with name recognition. I, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of baseball fans who certainly in Canada who know who Zach Pop is and certainly Toronto fans know who Anthony Bass is and you know, Mitch White has been an effective starting pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers that we're excited to add, and everybody knows who Whit Merrifield is. Uh, but yeah, there were some you know superstars that, uh, that changed teams at this deadline, and at this particular juncture to acquire talent, we didn't have the superstar exchange. But overall, this group that we've added is a very, very good group to add to an already exciting team. Not specific names, because uh, that would do no one any good, but was there something else that you would have liked to have added that you just couldn't get done? Um, 
You know, not I, I wouldn't say something else that we would have liked to have done because we feel like we did accomplish our goals. Right. Um, there was a lot of talk about acquiring a back-end reliever and with swing and miss ability. And Bass has been one of the most effective relievers in baseball. Mm-hmm. And so he complements Jimmy Garcia and Jordan Romano and Timmy Meza and Adam Simber exceptionally well. Zach Pop has one of the best singer, thinkers in fastball with a very good slider that we're exceptionally excited about. Um, you know, what he can contribute as well. So <clears throat> other moves that could have happened. The other, the other thing that got a lot of discussion from us was talking about adding a left-handed hitter or left-handed compliments. Right. And the performance of Raimel Tapia and Kevin Biggio, with a, in addition to the performance of Luis Gurriel and Teoscar Hernandez, made that really hard to do without taking someone off right. our roster. And we feel so good about the team, the way that it's built that Whit Merrifield is a very good complementary skill set because of his versatility, because of where he's been, how he's done it at what at very high levels, at the, on the biggest stages. Um, really, really complements that, that our bench well and in a way that he's going to play on a very regular basis, but it just makes our team more dynamic. Okay, I want to get to Whit Merrifield in just a quick second, but I, sure. I asked the last question uh, wondering if you knew that Stripling would need an IL stint and then thought that Mitch White was enough to give you depth in that starting rotation? Well, we didn't, one, I would say um, we didn't know for sure that he was an IL when we were looking. We, we, were, we did want to acquire a starting pitcher. And if you look at Mitch White's performance, it's been very good as a starting pitcher when mm-hmm. he's been there. Um, so we, I, I would say this. We knew we wanted to acquire starting depth, and we did that. Right. Um, do you have enough organizational depth at that position, though, to feel comfortable? Especially with the, the reason I bring that up is we had a couple of experts on the show yesterday saying keep an eye on Alec Manoa because he's never done this before. So I guess is there a, like a, a level of concern inside the organization on your depth at starting pitcher right now? No, there isn't. We, we've been one of the better starting pitching organizations in baseball this year. So we feel really good about the group that we have and really good about how well you say Kikuchi has thrown recently. Obviously, Kevin Gosman was phenomenal yesterday. The trend of Jose Barrios is incredible. So, All right, so you did get Whit Merrifield, and I, and I know a lot of folks are talking about this right now. Uh, fills a lot of holes. He can steal bases. I know you didn't want to comment on his vaccination last night. But do you know when he'll be available to play home games for you? Yeah, I and mean, listen, this is a this is we acquired Wit to play for the Toronto Blue Jays, and he's excited to do that. And there is a clock that will start, and we'll you know that timing will I, I will let him address the the timing of that and what that means. I think you could map out a calendar. And and most people could determine what that potential, what those potential scenarios could be for him. So you're not worried about him not playing home games at this juncture in time. He is exceptionally excited to be a part of this, and he knows what it means to play in Toronto. Understood. Uh, is there worry that Springer might miss some real time here, Ross? I don't think so, but there's that, there's always that possibility if he has another setback. But the information that we had today was very positive. He's exceptionally strong. We don't have reasons to believe that it's headed in a in a negative direction. 
What about Ross Stripling? I, I know you said yesterday you weren't exactly sure. What's yeah. kind of the timetable on what goes on with Ross Stripling? It seems like it could be very quick, where he, he, he's at the shorter stint or just the minimum of, that, of the time missed by the IL days. So one of the other questions that I keep getting from our audience uh, is that most of the teams around you in the standings, the Yankees, the Astros, the Twins among them, made some pretty meaningful deals. Did you feel a pressure to keep up at that deadline, seeing what they were doing? Well, we feel that we did. It's just a different shape. And it's not, all, it's not only about the acquisitions, it's also about the subtractions. So we feel that we've consolidated a lot of the players uh, in and around our 40-man roster and feel like we're in a, we've made a very good team better. Right. So as currently constituted, you feel like you guys can win now as you have been since the All-Star break, basically. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't understand the question. We feel as current that we can I, win. That you can win. And when it matters most, is currently constituted. Oh, oh, yes. Absolutely believe that. Awesome. Uh, before yeah. I let you go... Priorities here. Uh, earlier today on Twitter, we were talking about our favorite sports announcers since we heard of the passing of Vin Scully. Who is the one or two voices that still feel like home to you? Like who, who, who builds into your love of sports as a sports fan? And I know you got a lot of things in the plate, and you've been very busy and kind I mean, with your time. That's like the easiest question I've had <laughs> in years. I mean, it's it's. Buck and Tabby and Dan and Ben Wagner. I mean, that's like the biggest no-brainer. <laughs> All right, so let me take you back to when you're uh, 22. Who are the guys? Who were your guys back then? I mean, Ben's the guy. Yeah, yeah there's there's no doubt about it. Such a legend and uh, iconic approach to it that uh, you know it, it's stuff that memories are made of. Awesome. Thanks for doing this. I know the, uh, the sleep has been uh, very little, and I know the time has been very little, and the questions have been hard, but I appreciate you doing this with us. Anytime, Tim. Thanks for having me on. Have All a great night. You too. There is okay, uh, Ross Atkins, the general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. Jesse, uh, before Ross Atkins joined us, yeah. I asked you about your level of worry surrounding Whit Merrifield, his vaccination status, and his, moreover, his ability to play 26 home games in the city of Toronto. And you weren't really sure. You feel better about it now? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Because I, yeah. I think he was pretty uh, forthcoming in, in saying it without saying it. Like, it was an indirect answer that... Right. Whit Merrifield knows what he has to do to play for the Toronto Blue Jays. Right. Now, he could have just meant on the road. That's a possibility. <laughs> you think that's, that a po- that's a possibility. You think but that there, highly, is enough va- that. There, there is enough vagary? Yeah, it's possible, but <laughs> no. I highly, highly doubt no. that. So it, I, yeah. Listen, I think what we, what we first anticipated when we threw to the clip about Ross being yeah. respectful about the player was the case, and Whit Merrifield can decide whether or not he's going to tell people if he's vaccinated. I think if you're reading between the lines, the Toronto Blue Jays expect that they will have the whenever the 14 days from because the Johnson and Johnson shot is still accepted in Canada Mm -hmm. and it would be 14 days, I think, from that vaccination that he would be allowed to cross the border. I think without saying it, that's what we got. Yeah, so it would line up for I think it's the homestand on the 26th there um, that he would be eligible to play 
in Toronto. So we'll get, and I know this always happens about five minutes after we hang up with somebody, we start getting feedback yeah, there's on, already some, yeah. on, on what the guy said. And I want to get to a bunch of that, and yeah. we've got a bunch of guys lined up. Dan Shulman's going to join us. Ken Reed's going to jump in here. Uh, Ken Rosenthal is going to jump on with us, and, and we'll break it down a little bit more. But if I were to, um, again, try and, and, and I say this all the time, and it bears repeating because I'm not going to assume that people watch the show every day. However, I feel like I, my job here is to translate from you to management and from management back to you. Yep. And what I thought he said was, I don't think people are giving us enough credit for the pickups that we did make. And that people will be pleasantly surprised by what they get in return in Mitch White. Mm-hmm. And moreover, that Anthony Bass is as good as any other reliever that they could have picked up, if not better. Did it not feel like he knew what the narrative was? Like we talked about the, the strikeout, swing and miss. Like these guys know. They know what people are saying and what, what the fans want. And there was a clamoring for a swing and miss guy. And I think he looked at what was available and said, it's not necessarily what we need because Anthony Bass gets the job done. Yeah. He's and, a good enough pitcher. And Zach Pop uh, looks like he's just a second-year guy. But he looks like the guy that can develop into one of those. He throws 98 with some nastiness. And if he figures it out, like look to bleep out, and he's close to figuring it out already. Don't you think a guy with 98 and sink is like the exact guy you want to bring in in a situation where you're in you're a jam? Yeah, where you need a K or two? You need a K, you need a ground ball, double play yeah. out of the inning. And I've Zach already seen Pop. some speculation that he may turn into a slider fastball guy yeah. from some. Uh, but he's got the kind of stuff that can do that, and he's doing it at the big league level coming off of a Tommy John where I think he even spoke about it when he was leaving Miami and that clubhouse, Mm -hmm. and he was saying, listen, I had to learn to trust myself again after Tommy John and build up that confidence, and you're getting to that spot. Listen, I I understand what a lot of people wanted, and David Robertson comes with a pedigree. He comes with name recognition. He comes with having been to the postseason and having had success in the postseason, and that's why people want a name like that. But if you look at the numbers this year, and I'll just give you stats, Anthony Bass has been better. Yeah, that's it. 141 ERA. Right. That gets the job done. And you've already got the AL leader in saves in Jordan Romano, so it's not like you're going to put someone else in the save situation spot. And I know what people are saying, well, he doesn't have any saves. No, he's just had remarkable success as a reliever, and that's what people were looking for. There's a palpable excitement about this team, and I think that's part of the reason why you saw, not blowback, but uh, yeah, I guess some blowback on yesterday is because people think this team's good enough. Well, and also, I, I, I think there's that. I also think that, like, we're part of the problem. And when we interview someone who says, the Jays got a shot at Juan Soto, people get really excited. Like, when they hear these big, huge names, and they go to Twitter, and they hear these big, huge names tied to the Toronto Blue Jays, they don't care that they're probably not going to be able to keep one. Whenever I bring up, okay, how are you going to re-sign Bichette, Mm -hmm. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and Juan Soto? You said that two weeks ago, at least. And no one cares. A.J. Preller's in the same spot right now. Ken Rosenthal is going to join us a little later on wrote a story, how can they sustain this when they sign Fernando Tatis Jr.? 
You know what he wrote yesterday? Same bleeping thing. Because now they got to afford all of these guys in that team, and he has no idea how they're going to do it. Now, that's not sexy, and I think what happens is we in the media start talking about people who are tying these huge names to your team, no matter what that team is, and then when you don't get that guy, mm -hmm. the fans are pissed off, even if it might not make as much sense as you may think. You know what it's going to cost for the Padres? One billion dollars. <laughs> it's going it, probably more. It's going to probably be more, more than a yeah. billion dollars. <laughs> it is going to be more. They already than got over three hundred. Yeah. I don't know if they can keep Machado, and, but I think what AJ Preller is saying is, I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. Give me these guys for however long I can get them, and hopefully we can beat the Dodgers. You know what that is? That's a must be nice. Uh, Anyone writing in about Ross Atkins? Because we're going to get Dan Schulman next. Yes, people people are definitely writing in about do, that. Do you want to do that now, or do you want to do that a little bit later on? Because I don't yeah, know. We got guests up lined up. Give me up one or two. Okay. One uh, or two. Sandy says I don't agree with the haters. Improved team with Bass is good. Fans don't see him down in Miami, which I think actually it's a fantastic point. Not that I'm giving Jay not giving Jay's fans credit, but not everybody watches Miami Marlins games, and they are just going based on. I, I talked to a, a friend of mine who's a pretty good baseball fan. He says, "Ah, it wasn't that Ricky Henderson day. It wasn't that Troy Tulowitzki day. We needed a bullpen arm." Mm -hmm. I'm like, "You you know Anthony Bass is throwing at 141 ERA and a FIP of 206." Oh, really? Different pitcher from 2020. Right. Changes slider, throws a slider a lot more, higher whiff rate. Uh, Bill says Ross knew Stripling was injured and Kikuchi is an adventure at best and no starter added. And you asked him that question and he straight up said, we think we have the organizational starter depth that it's not that much of a concern. And maybe Mitch White was the acquisition that helped alleviate that concern. Yeah, I, I think people wanted more than Mitch White, which is why I asked like three different follow-ups that <laughs> Ross wasn't biting on. Still to come. Raptors and Canada coach Nick Nurse from his own charity golf tournament. Adam Rank ahead of the NFL preseason kickoff. Ken Rosenthal on the Jays deadline and beyond. Kenny Reed will drop by and help steer the ship. And after the break, more Jays talk, deadline talk, Danny Shulman, plus his thoughts on the legendary Vin Scully. Tim and friends, here we go. Hernandez drives this one into left field, and it is gone. That pitch line right back through the middle, and the Rays take a 3-2 lead here. Fastball is hit to left field, down the line, in the corner, home run. And the Toronto Blue Jays come back with three in the bottom of ninth inning to become the world's champions yet again. I would see a baby, and I'd make a funny face and the baby would smile and I think oh that's great I got a smile from the baby and usually the mother would say no it's gas it's you say Kikuchi's turn against the Tampa Bay Rays here's a 2-2 got him looking his fist strikeout Hernandez drives this one into left field, and it is gone. For Teoscar, his 15th home run, and the Blue Jays grab that lead right back. Simber, and that pitch line right back through the middle. And Peralta with a base hit and an RBI, and the Rays take a 3-2 lead. Chapman trying to keep the hopes alive for the Jays, and the 2-2 is swing and a miss. And that's going to do it. Rays. Come away with the win and the series split. 
Mini two-game series at the Little Trop of Horrors. Jays lose, if you didn't know, playing a rare noon Eastern start time in Tampa. 3-2 is your final. Joining me from Minnesota, where the Jays will catch up with them a little later today, is the one, the only, Dan Shulman. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Mr. Shulman. Welcome to the corner of my hotel room, if you didn't know. <laughs> yeah, we can kind of sort of tell. Uh, other than the Rays pitch it really well, Dan, is the next story about Kikuchi and his continued return from the IL or get it right stint? Yeah, I think so. So let me, you know, in, in complete honesty, I was flying today, so I did not see the game. Obviously, I was not on this series. That's why Matt Devlin was there. So um, it didn't last all that long. I saw 17 batters, four innings, two runs, I think. And, and again, you'd love to get, if he can do it, you'd love to feel confident enough in him where it's five or six, not four or five. Same with Ross Stripling when he's healthy or Mitch White when he's in there. It's tough to have two spots where it's four or five innings. But certainly uh, just from looking at the line score, and only one walk, five strikeouts today, that's encouraging. And with Stripling going on the IL, every single other member of the rotation is obviously that much more important because they got to find five able-bodied guys to go out there who they think can give them a chance to win a ballgame. Yeah, John Schneider said after the game that he felt like it was a start they can build on. And, and I know you didn't see the game, so I'm not asking you about specifics here, but it feels like the Jays are trying to rebuild and tinker with Kikuchi. And given where they are and Stripling going on the IL, like that becomes all the more important depending on what you get from Mitch White. Uh, absolutely. And, and listen, they've been tinkering with him all season. We know that they, they gave him kind of a three week breather to go tinker away from Toronto and try to figure it out and and come back, uh, you know, a better version of himself. And it certainly looks like, again, the last two uh, are encouraging. Uh, but now with Stripling going on the IL, you know, presumably, I guess Mitch White is going to start one of the games here in Minnesota. Yeah, Saturday, and yeah. with Max Castillo having gone on the trade to Kansas City they're really down to the five viable options right now. So it, it's the depth is not there if somebody else were to take a comebacker and, and you know, have to miss a start or something like that. So, um, you know, they've got good options, but they don't have a ton of options. And that, that's one of the reasons I was a little surprised Max Castillo was in the Kansas City deal. Not that he's a high ceiling guy, mm -hmm. but I think they know they could throw him out there for three, four innings, even though he hadn't been stretched out recently. You know, he's a guy who could maybe go in there and in, in a quasi bullpen game. Uh, help them out so they they really need the guys who are healthy right now to stay healthy and, and I know Ross was on with the last segment I don't know what he said about the time frame for stripling but hopefully it's a short-term thing yeah he said it was a short-term thing or they're hoping it's a short-term thing the other thing that I pressed him on was uh, the organizational depth that starter and if they were worried about that at all and he, he didn't seem to think there what did, what did you make of their deadline and did you think that outside of white there might have been a starter to be had so it, it, it's funny. Let, let's rewind a week. And, and I, if you would have said to me a week ago, what do you think they should do? I would say get two arms for the bullpen, mm -hmm. get a back end starter and get a bat. Now, that's there's a lot of vagueness in that in that uh, <laughs> yeah. sentence of mine. But that's what they went out and did. I think what made it harder to swallow for Blue Jays fans is when a direct competitor in Seattle got Luis Castillo and a direct competitor in the Yankees um, got Frankie Montas. You know, other teams made quote-unquote, bigger, splashier moves. 
there's no question the Blue Jays are a better team now than they were a few days ago. It's just everybody they're competing with appears to be a better team as well. Minnesota made some, you know, yeah. notable additions. I mean, to get Michael Fulmer and Jorge Lopez uh, in your in your bullpen is significant. Anthony Bass is having a great year, and I think he slides into that Jimmy Garcia. You know, he could be the two guy or the three guy. Romano being, you know, the, the main closer. Mm -hmm. Bass is a, appears to be a better pitcher now than he was with the Blue Jays two years ago, and he was pretty good for the Blue Jays two years ago saved seven games and he's having a much better year this year if you look at all the numbers zach pop is a guy they'll control for a long time four or five years um got a big arm obviously a brampton kid and all that so i think what they've done is raised the floor of the bullpen where once these guys are active members of the team everybody moves down a notch or maybe two to a spot that's better for them uh the mitch white i, I like like if you went out and got a legit starter i mean I, I guess they would have taken stripling out of the rotation and he's hurt now so but i i always thought they'd kind of get a back-end type of guy um who could be in the rotation or in the bullpen uh, on an as-needed basis and you know his numbers are interesting too um there's the fastball he's got a very good slider he's obviously going to make a start again in this minnesota series uh, and we'll see what he has um whit merrifield really interesting at a number of levels obviously assuming he has gotten or will get the vac uh, the vaccine very soon he's probably going to miss the next homestand but should be available for every game um after that so I guess it came down to, Tim, that if they wanted a Montas, if they wanted, I mean, Castillo, the price tag was huge, but if they wanted a Frankie Montas, mm -hmm. if they wanted more of an impact guy, bigger name, they would have had to have given up Tiedemann or Moreno or somebody like that to get it, and clearly they weren't willing to do that. Yeah, I think the prospect capital, and I hate saying prospect capital because someone changed my opinion on what that means, so I'll just say uh, they're very good prospects were something they wanted to hang on to. And I kept hearing, you know, I, I said that we're culpable here, uh, when it comes to talking about names like Juan Soto and who's mentioned them with the Jays. And then people get excited and, and they want that big, huge name. They don't care if you can afford to pay all of your guys down the road. They, don't, they just see 23-year-old, um, you know, John Paul Morosi's on here saying that he's a future Hall of Famer and he's 23 and he's confident in saying that. Like, I, I get it, um, but... Whenever it's the blank for blank, I heard like Lourdes Gurriel's name come up a bunch. And I heard guys in the roster's name. Clubhouse is always important to me. But like he seems, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., seems like a big part of the clubhouse. And sometimes when you're dealing with making moves at this time, you got to make sure you keep those glue guys. Do you think yeah. that played into this deadline at all? I, I think it's. Yeah, I think it's possible. So three things about Lourdes in no particular order. One, okay. he is a big part of the clubhouse. He's important in there. Two, he's having a really good year for them. He's a very important player for them. And three, he's only he's a free agent after 2023. Pittsburgh and Oakland and Cincinnati and the Cubs and Washington are not going to be interested in a guy who's a free agent after next year, even if he's good and even if he's affordable. So either they would then have to flip Guriel, or if you got a guy, then you would have to trade Guriel to a different team. That's a lot of moving parts, um, you know, on July 31st for August the 2nd. I think they were a little bit stuck in, in terms of what they could do here. Um, and, and again, I think they improved the team. They just didn't do it with all the splashy, sexy names like some of the other teams did. Uh, but if if you look at each individual trade, it, like in a vacuum, the three trades they made, I think they're all good trades. I think they all help the team. I think there will be fewer times 
when there are quote unquote low leverage relievers pitching in high leverage situations. Right. Merrifield clearly has something to do with George Springer. He can also play right. He can also play second. He can mm -hmm. steal a base. He's not having a very good year. We all know that, but he's not far removed from being a very good player. Maybe he'll get a little, uh, you know, adrenaline bump from being back in a race. And a Mitch shot White, in the arm, Dan. Uh, well, whoa, nicely done. You said it, not me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I figured Sorry, I stole that. Shot, it was man. a headline everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. that was right on the tee, and Direct. I didn't even realize I did it. So that's how dumb I am. But and, and Mitch White, whether it was somebody gets hurt or Kikuchi doesn't pitch well or the stripling thing that we now know publicly, you know, he fills a role too. But I don't think they could have traded Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Or it, it, it just the way the the twenty six man roster is constructed. I don't. They didn't have those young guys who have been in the majors for a year that other teams that the right. rebuilding teams would love are you going to trade alejandro kirk they're not going to trade alejandro kirk alec manoa like the guys they have who have been in the majors a year are too good to trade they didn't have those guys who had just started their major league career and look like they could be something but we don't know yet um, other teams had those kinds of players and and listen their farm system has been thinned out a little bit the last couple of years by the Barrios deal and the Chapman deal uh, and they they've got some high-end guys in in Moreno and, and Tiedemann but but after that you know I think a little bit of the shine has has come off the system and and you know, hopefully the guys they've got will help them. I think it increases their chances of getting to the playoffs. This really, really looks like a playoff team now. Mm -hmm. You know, is this team good enough to do damage in the playoffs? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, anyone who talks into a mic at sporting events uh, looks up to uh, Vin Scully. And we lost a legend of the yeah. business last night at the age of uh, 88. What will you remember most about Vin Scully? And I would probably count you among those who look up to him. Uh, sure. I, I mean, you know, the, the first time you meet him when you're however old I was, the first time I did a Dodger game for ESPN on a Wednesday night back in 1997 or eight or whatever it was. And you're walking down to the, the hallway at the, in the press box there is incredibly narrow and you can see Vin coming from like 30, 40 feet away. And now it's almost like you're on a first date and you're thinking, what am I going to say? Don't screw it up. How do I introduce myself? But the kindest gentleman uh, you, you'll ever meet indisputably the greatest baseball broadcaster of all time. Like, I don't know how you even, how we even have a conversation um, uh, about that. And a, a, a funny story. I was doing a, a Sunday night baseball game for ESPN uh, a few years ago. I don't remember who I was with, but I said something, you know, kind of tongue in cheek on the air. I said, he's so good. Like, I bet you he could read a grocery list on the air and it would be compelling. Somebody was watching in the U.S. I can't remember who and thought the same thing years and years ago and knew somebody who knew somebody who knew Vin and got Vin to tape a grocery list <laughs> avocado and and sent it in and they sent it to us and we ran it on the air on ESPN that night and it was mesmerizing him talking you know about avocado and smoked sausage and whatever the other ingredients were the other things that he was going to buy in the grocery store only Vin would do this yeah. and only Vin would do it as, as perfectly Jimmy D um, as, breakfast he always had time for people and you know he's right on and the Dodgers have an incredible history and legacy obviously he's right up there with Koufax and Drysdale and and uh, you know whoever else you want to mention as being among the most beloved and and uh 
you know, treasured uh, people who have ever come through that organization. Yeah, without a doubt. It's, it's a shame this week we lost two guys that had universal respect for them in Bill Russell and Vin Scully. But I put them in that same category, guys that you hope to become when they're reading your obituary uh, because those two uh, definitely class acts. And as he said, uh, top of the game, absolute top of the game. Dan, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. All right, Tim, anytime. Talk to you soon. From his hotel room in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, there is Dan Schulman here on Tim and Friends. All right, time for a break. When we come back, the Flames have locked up Andrew Mangiapane. We're going to discuss the move and what a wild summer it has been in Calgary. And we will do that next right here on Tim and Friends. Ken Reed, Ken Rosenthal, more deadline talk coming your way. Adam Rank, NFL, or baseball. Next. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Nick Nurse going to join us a little bit later on. Ken Rosenthal is going to join us a little bit later on. we got a jam-packed show. I already talked to Ross Atkins, Dan Shulman. Brought up Vin Scully, who had a great story, Dan Shulman, about Vin Scully, uh, which leads me to what we put on Twitter earlier today. In honor of the passing of the legendary Vin Scully, we want to know who is on your sports broadcaster, Mount Rushmore. We're looking for four names that you would put on on your list. Mine, after much consternation, ended up being Vin, Bob Cole, Keith Jackson, rumbling, bumbling, stumbling, and Don Whitman with about 54 honorable mentions that I had to argue myself through and beyond. Jesse, I think we got a few answers to this one. Yeah, I'm looking at your tweet right now. He said 10 honorable mentions, and uh, the first one I'm going to go to, Sand, was in the same ballpark as you. Had to do the honorable mentions as well. He had a top <laughs> four of Pat Summerall, yeah. Vin Scully, Jim Ross, and uh, Bob Jimmy Cole. Jimmy Ross Jim makes Ross, his yeah. way in there. You know what? Jim Ross is not the only person to My Jim God, Ross. where did he come from? Uh, through the table. Uh, honorable mention, Jim Houston, John Madden, Dan Shulman, our uh, last guest, and Mike Goldberg. And Gus Johnson, who uh, those are all incredible ones, obviously. Uh, John Carlos says, what's the matter with people? How is Foster Hewitt not being mentioned anywhere? If you're doing MLB, NHL, NFL, NBA, then you can do Scully, Hewitt, Michaels, Al Michaels, and Albert, Marv, Albert. Yeah, Al Michaels, Pat Summerall were the two hardest that I left off for what I thought was Keith Jackson. Two more here. Uh, Calvin says, Scully, Al Michaels, Jim Ross again, and Ian Eagle. Another oh, friend of the look show. At look at that. We've got love. friends of the show that are in the, the conversation for the Mount Rushmore of greatest broadcasters of all time. It's pretty impressive. Uh, Frank says, I like guys that work multiple sports impactfully. So Howard Cosell from today's era, Joe Buck, Dick Irvin, and of course this guy from Major League. <laughs> Just a bit outside. And finally, uh, Keith says, doesn't matter. Mountain gets blown up by the boom goes the dynamite guy. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, got the boom goes the dynamite guy. One of the first viral sensations of all time. Of all time, yeah. yeah. I don't even think that was originally on YouTube. I think it was like one of the, one of the ones before oh, what YouTube. Was, what I, was the? Yeah, had yeah. like a, and there was almost like a. Oh. It wasn't MySpace. Someone just said MySpace. E-Bombs World. Yeah, is that yes. what it was? It was E-Bombs World, yeah. Yeah, very good. That, Neil Mattias in very my ear impressive. throwing that Way to go, there. Neil. Not just a uh, font coordinator, but no. he, knew, he knows his E-Bombs World stuff. All right, let's get to some hockey. Uh, the Calgary Flames took care of their remaining restricted free agents on Tuesday, signing Andrew Mangiapane to a three-year deal worth $5.8 million per season. Mm -hmm. And Oliver Shillington for two years with an AAV of Two and a half million. No NHL team has had a more eventful offseason than the Flames. How would you grade their summer? 
that, that their fans need a hug. Like, the Calgary fans did not deserve any of this. All they do is support their team very loudly, very vociferously. They, they do not deserve any of this from Johnny Goudreau or Matthew Kachuk. There, there is some interesting things going on in Calgary. And listen, I know for fans, Jonathan Uberdo does not replace what Matthew Kachuk brought to that team, mm-hmm. never mind uh, what Johnny Goudreau brought to that team. And that... Andrew Mangiapane is a well-earned pay raise, but it gives them very little cap space right now. And I, I listen, the, the favorite on Nazem Kadri by most accounts right now is the New York Islanders. And it sounds like it's almost fait accompli. He's going to Long Island, and that's the only place they could give him the kind of money that he wants and deserves. But I had heard that there were some some opportunities that maybe Calgary could circle back and find a way. Now, they'd have to find some cap. I don't know how they do it cap-wise, but that they could find a way to get between what Colorado could pay Nazem Kadri and what Long Island could pay Nazem Kadri. Because, I, listen, the one thing I think Nazem Kadri learned from his time in Toronto and his time in Colorado is you don't want to be the man mm-hmm. that is relied upon all the time. But if you're second or third, you can live a great life and do what he did this year, which was raise the cup. And I think Calgary could be that like middle ground where he could be a real key cog. And, but I just don't know how they do it salary cap-wise. They have to find a way to clear some space and add Kadri. But that would be a very interesting... That would be... I wonder if Calgary fans would be excited again, even though they've gone through the misery that has been this offseason. Yeah, but it could have been a lot worse, right? Because when Goudreau had left and then Matthew Kachuk was on his way out and you didn't know what you were getting for him. Yeah, I like the return of Uber Doe. Right. Yeah. Like those were the dark days for the Calgary Flames fans. It was the unknown of what you were going to get. And then you end up getting a guy who was in the Hart Trophy conversation for the entire year. So it's in terms and, of like grading it, it's it's got to be a, a pretty good letter. And more importantly, if Brad Living, that man right there, can get him to sign a contract longer term that he stays there, I think that I think the worry in Calgary is that he ends up in the same spot the rest of them did, which is just bouncing after. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, these are certain markets that you just you don't know. The the future is unknown, and it feels like Calgary finds themselves in that position right now. I thought you had to do a Bet Rivers thing, and we only have ten seconds left. In no, this. we t- we talked all over that. We'll do that later. It's later, all good. it's all good. It's all, all right. good. We'll get it in. What are we going to talk about? For what the Bet Rivers? Yeah. It's baseball. We're when in we dog come, days of summer. When we come back, well, it could have been golf. You're like the golf guy. Don't give me that indignant return. Take a base. There's a lot going on in the golf world. Dog could have been days of summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about golf? Yeah, golf. What is, about the NFL season around the corner? Five weeks. What about the it's, CFL? Hold on. Nick is, Nurse is next. It's five weeks around the corner. Does that constitute around? We have a Hall of Fame game. Sheep Dogs back here. Hour number two. Tim and friends. Full hour across the board, which includes Ken Reed coming up in studio. Ken Rosenthal, Adam Rank, both on the way. 
MLB, NFL, and Raptors head coach Nick Nurse in mere hey. minutes from now. But we had some afternoon baseball to get people caught up on just in case they missed a few things. Starting with the Toronto Blue Jays in Tampa, second of a mini two-game series. And in the top of the first, the Jays had a 1-0 lead once again. Teoscar Hernandez brings home Lourdes Gurriel Jr. And it's a 1-0 Jays lead. Meanwhile, Yusei Kikuchi coming off the IL second start. He had uh, five innings of 1-1 ball in his last outing. Struck out four of his first six and got more offense in the fourth. Hey, Oscar Hernandez, back at it. Hey, Oscar's had great numbers against him in his career. Hernandez drives this one into left field, going back. A Rosarena looks up, and it is gone. A solo blast. Teoscar goes yard against Yarbrough. How about six home runs and 33 career at-bats against Ryan Yarbrough? I think Dabby knew what he was talking about. It's 2-1 Toronto. Kikuchi leaves four innings, two runs, strikes out five, walk one, hit one. Bottom six, man on. One of Tampa's deadline acquisitions, David Peralta, RBI base hit, gave the Rays a 3-2 lead, and former Jay Jason Adam comes on for the save. Bo Bichette waving. Two batters later, Matt Chapman, love peace and hair grease. Jays lose for just the third time in 11 outings since the All-Star break. 3-2 is your final. Chasing the Yankees in that AL East, and the Yanks faced the Mariners today, and the M's jumped all over. Garrett Cole, two on, nobody out. Eugenio Suarez, first pitch swinging. It's already 3-0 Mariners. Next batter, Carlos Santana. He's got 99 problems, but this pitch ain't won. Back-to-back, -back, oh, they're not done. Still first inning, more trouble for Cole. Cole searching, trying to find something that he feels comfortable with, a pitch that he can depend on. Still looking. 2-2. High fly ball, right field, Carpenter back, track, wall, see ya. Amazing. An awful start for Garrett Cole. A six-run first inning, most in any inning of his career, and Seattle had the 6-0 lead. Meanwhile, Luis Castillo making his Mariners debut. The guy a lot of Jays fans wanted. He looked pretty good. Aaron Hicks, hard hit ball. How about some defense? J.P. Crawford. Making glove out of nothing at all. Two batters later, Castillo sits down Kyle Higashioka. Gave up three runs over six and two-thirds, striking out eight. Seattle wins 7-3, your final. All right, so those are the afternoon affairs today. Jays lose no ground. Some Raptors news also today as they signed Gabe Brown forward to a deal. Run drafted out of Michigan State where he averaged close to 12 points per game as a senior last season. Meantime, Raptors also announced preseason plans. They'll face the Jazz in Edmonton on October 2nd and play the Celtics in Montreal on October 14th in exhibition play. Yeah, we're talking basketball in the, I was going to say the middle, but it's the start of August. And joining me now from his own charity golf tournament, which is a flex on its own and a pretty nice one <laughs> because the trek is nice. Wooden Sticks, Oxbridge, Ontario. It's Nick Nurse from the Nick Nurse Foundation Charity Golf Tournament. Thanks for doing this, Coach. How you doing, Tim? Good to, good to hear you and see you. And uh, thanks for having me on always. Anytime. First off, how'd you swing it? I'm not sure if you heard me. How did you swing it, Coach? Did you hear me say that? 
Yeah, well, yeah, you know, I hit, uh, I was kind of roaming today, so I, I oh, kind no. of a good day. You know, I hit a few, I hit a few really good shots, and that's, for me, that's all, a day on the course, if I got two or three to, to talk about a little bit at the end of the round, I'm pretty happy, so good day, good day. Wait a second, I heard you can play. Did, did I hear correctly? Oh, not really. <laughs> I can hit it a little bit. I don't, I, don't, I don't play. I don't play enough to score or be a good enough player, but I, I can hit a little bit. All right, let's talk a little bit about the Nick Nurse Foundation. Uh, committed to improving the lives of children through music, sports, and literacy. Sounds a lot like the things that you love. Uh, why was it important for you to give back? <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I, I got the job, first of all, which was an incredible honor, and then we were fortunate enough to win that championship in 2019 and just was kind of given this platform I thought to to do some good in the community and go out and raise money and like you said I it only probably made sense to me to do the things that I'm really super passionate about so so I could really stay focused and and do a really good job at it so we we, we focus on those three strands and just thought I've been given a lot and wanted to give back you know that's awesome. Some big names out there. We're seeing video of Dr. J and some an, an avid golfer that Raptor fans may know well in Kyle Lowry. I saw that you got a chance to catch up with the Grote Kyle. What was it like uh, catching up with your with your old point guard? Yeah, it, it was great, man. I mean, listen, I think that uh, when I told him I was having this tournament, I didn't even finish the sentence, and he said, I'll be there, you know, like I'm coming, and I didn't have to worry about him one bit uh, the whole time, and really an honor for him to be here. Everybody loves seeing him. Um, it was great. We, we spent a lot of time together today. Hey, how did Dr. J become so involved in your foundation? Yeah, just uh, through a mutual, my, actually my high school teammate, a guy named Frank Moloch lives in Atlanta where Doc, Doc lives and just he's been friends with him for 10, 11, 12 years and uh, when the foundation started, uh, I had Frank, his name's Frank, I had Frank on the board, Frank Moloch on the board and then he said you ought to ask Doc if he wants to be on your board and we went down and met and had dinner and he, he graciously accepted and um, he's been great, you know, we've done some Dr. J um, sweatshirts and T-shirts that have just flown out the, you know, they just, we sold out like immediately when we did those. They were really cool, and, and he's up here uh, supporting us uh, today, so it's been great. Nice. Uh, if you want more information, of course, Nick Nurse Foundation is where you can find it. Uh, how many of your current guys have you been able to see over the summer, Coach? All of them. Yeah, all of them. In fact, I just, I just saw... Just about every single one of them a couple days ago. Um, the, most of them are out in LA. You know, uh, our new assistant coach, uh, Rico Hines, runs a runs a kind of a summer league uh, runs. You know, some some pickup ball that's put, kind of organized. Um, and and our our entire team was there, bar two guys. Um, so I've seen I've seen everybody this summer a lot, and it's um, it's been great. We got an incredible focus. I think this summer, incredible intensity in the workouts that I'm seeing. Um, I'm really, really pleased with what I'm seeing right now. Okay, I'm, I'm somewhat skeptical of what I hear in the summer because I've seen Ben Simmons hit a three on video yeah. <laughs> every summer for the last uh, five or six <laughs> years. But, but I hear some good things yeah. about a lot of your guys right now, and I'm hearing it from you too. Um, there are some good things said about Pascal Siakam. Uh, there's some uh, we see Malachi Flynn playing in those pro-ams. Uh, let's start with Pascal. And I saw Scotty, who looks like he's a yep. beast. Uh, let's start with Pascal. Like, yep. have you caught up with him? What, what have you seen? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he looks spectacular. He really, 
looks fast, quick, strong. I mean, uh, his workouts are were great. I saw him play some pickup the other day. I mean, he looks awesome. He's had a, a tremendous summer. Uh, really good. Like you mentioned, Scotty as well. Every t every time he walks in the gym, he seems a little a little bigger and a little more a little more cut up and a little bit stronger shoulders. And and um, I know I know when he played the other day, he went out there and checked the ball and. He was he was guarding James Harden in game one, so he was he was working on he was working on getting better out there, not just messing around. So those two guys have been great. When when I was telling fans to chill on the drafting of Scotty Barnes, I, I never thought I would hear many of those same fans tell me you can't trade that guy for Kevin Durant. Do you, do you ever worry about the <laughs> expectations of what they think he can be? Oh, not really, not really. I think that um, he's got a couple qualities that are that are are, are consistent, right? They're going to make him a consistent player. He loves to play. He competes to win. Super competitive, and he just keeps getting physically stronger and stronger. So, you know, you, those three things are going to carry a lot of long way in, in this game. And and I just think that man, what, what, you know, the skills are are there in one sense, and in a couple other senses, they're coming really fast. So. When we get all those things put together, you know, we, we ought to have high expectations. You know, the, the sky's the limit. Do, do you know what a ceiling is for Scotty Barnes? Like, I've struggled with that since you guys drafted him. And like I said, like, right off Jump Street, I just like the intangibles for such a young guy. I mean, you don't hear people say what they said about him coming out of Florida State. I mean, the ability to play defense, the ability to see the floor, like, those are the things usually guys have to learn while they're in the pros. They don't come with them. Like, what, what's a ceiling to you look like for Scotty Barnes? Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard. I think, uh, you know, going back to what you said, I think people's main concern was, was he going to be able to score enough in the NBA? Right? I think, I think they saw a lot of other attributes that would translate pretty quickly. Well, he scored pretty well in his first year as a 20-year-old. As a um, you know, he just turned 21 the other day. Uh, the ceiling, I mean, listen, I, you know, when we drafted him, would you have been talking about a multiple-time multiple All-Star? I'm not sure. But after year one, you probably are. Interesting. Oh, hey, what does Malachi tearing up pro-ams mean? Because I don't know what it means. Well, uh, listen, um, he was uh, as well in L.A., and I saw him on Monday, and he's got a different little swagger about him, too. He, he's playing super confident. That's, that's all it can do for you. Get, you. get you back in your groove. You know, you start seeing the ball go in, you start showing up at another gym with a little better competition, and you, and you continue to play well. Um, super impressed with him. I, 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 you know, he had a little bit of a spurt where he started to play well last season and got totally derailed by his last injury and never never really heard from him again. So um, I'm excited that what I saw. I just saw a different guy just in the, his presence and the way he's carrying himself the other day. That's awesome. All right, I know the program and I respect the program with the Toronto Raptors and how you're able to develop. And I thought you guys did a great job getting a lot out of almost every last one of your players last season. Do you think that you guys can be better with the same pieces come next season? Oh, for sure. To totally expecting you to be better. Just a couple things on that, though. I think that we do have some more depth now. I think uh, just, just adding Thaddeus Young now, I think he's like really will be in the fold as a solid backup, right? I just don't, yeah. he didn't quite get there last year, but he's, he was getting there at the end of the year. And now he's here, now he's comfortable, he knows where he's going to be. 
Otto Porter's a nice pickup, right? He's, he's got the length that we like. He, he hits the spot-up jumpers. He's a really good rebounder for his position. There's, there's another thing. You know, you still got Chris Boucher. I mean, I really think that Precious needs to make a leap forward, and from all indications, he will this year. He's having a, a tremendous summer. Uh, I think OG and Scotty need to keep making steps forward as well. Um, and, and then all those other guys, Malachi and, and Christian and Delano and Justin, and you know, those guys can all contribute. It's, it's going to be up to us to figure out which role they can, they can play to, to you know, keep the, the, the game flowing and doing some positive things, guard their position, rebound, and you know, probably come down to which one of them is going to knock down the open shot because you know, they're going to be sending multiple people at Scotty, Pascal, Freddie, you know, OG, whatever. So the, those role guys are going to, you know, have to be able to step up and make those rhythm shots. And I know a lot of people are waiting for you. One last one about Canada basketball. I know uh, August 25th and 29th is the next window. Uh, what kind of roster are you guys looking at? And kind of what, what's, the, what's the outlook look for or look like moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be pretty similar to what we had in June. There may be one or two additions um, from kind of our summer core. A um, couple guys are, are close to being healthy, and we'll see. It's going to be going to be close by August 21st, whether they get there. But pretty much the same crew, which is good. Uh, that, that team really played well in the last two games. Um, big games coming up. The Argentina game is as big as it gets for us right now. They're right behind us in the pool. Then we go down to Panama on the 29th, as you mentioned. And it would be great if we can get these two. Man, we're going to be sitting in a, in a really good spot. Awesome. Uh, you know I'll be watching. And congratulations on the golf tournament. For yeah. those who want more information, nicknursefoundation.org is where you can help out that coach and those kids. Uh, thanks for doing this. Always appreciate your time. Get back to your tournament. Sorry to bug you. It's a, no problem at all. Thanks for having me on. Good to see you. Good to Take see care. you. There is uh, Nick Nurse. Again, Wooden Sticks. Uh, in the greater Toronto area. I don't know if you've ever played Wooden Sticks, Jesse Rubinoff. Uh, for the folks at home, there are replica holes. They've got the Island Green Sawgrass. They've got British Open slash St. Andrews type stuff. I just want to say British Open because I know. stamp. I don't know. I forget where that is. They got some, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the road very, hole. Yeah, it's very uh, cool. Yeah, so it's kind of a cool trek. And Nick Nurse having, obviously, uh, good time. Dr. J, Kyle Lowry, that's a pretty good pull. Kyle's got a good swing, too. Nick is so real. But that, he's, I'm a fan of his because yeah. he's just so, like, he laughed at your Ben Simmons three joke, yeah. which a lot of, I'm sure a lot of NBA head coaches would have been afraid to even giggle at that. <laughs> right. Like, he laughed at your uh, Scotty Barnes, Kevin Durant joke, too. Right. Like, he's just talking to a, to a dude. I, I, think that's, I think that's a real skill. Of his. I, I've been saying this to Jesse off air for years, honestly, that I think that people speak on television too often how they think they should speak mm -hmm. and not just as a normal human being and uh, Nick Nurse has that quality of coming off like he is a guy that you would love to have a beer with yet is very intelligent yeah. and brings a ton of knowledge it's refreshing because you don't get that very often no especially not from professional coaches exactly. and or GMs and or presidents coaches of multiple yeah. teams yeah. and or golf tournament and or politicians. And or politicians. <laughs> Time yeah, for true. a break. When we come back, it's Ken and Ken. That's right. Reader drops, but he's pissed off because he was supposed to be at Nick Nurse's charity golf <laughs> tournament as of right now. But he's going to join us. Ken Rosenthal will join to reflect in the Jays' deadline and beyond. Adam Rank, NFL Talk. Stay tuned, please.
two out. You talk about a roll of the dice. This is it. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. In a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. Three and two to Mookie Wilson. Little roller up along first. Behind the bag. It gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight, and the Mets win it. Henderson at second. Molitor at first. One out in the ninth. 6-5 Philadelphia. Fastball is hit to left field. Down the line. In the corner. Home run. Joe Carter hits the 2-1 and one pitch over the left field wall. And the Toronto Blue Jays. Come back with three in the bottom of ninth inning to become the world's champions yet again. Understated brilliance. Speaking of Ken Reed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, yeah. Me and Vince Scully. You yeah. and Vince Scully. Yeah. One sure. and the same. Yes. Uh, yeah. What does that bring back for you? Well, uh, like a lot of guys from my generation, I first came across Vince Scully, the NBC Game of the Week. I'm sure right. you were the same. Yep. It was, I think, well, 2 o'clock my time. I believe it was on Saturdays. So it was yep. Vince Scully and Joe Gargiola, right? right? And Joe would bring out the baseball cards once in a while, and I always thought <laughs> yeah. that was cool. Yeah. And I just thought that I didn't know that Vince Scully was the Dodgers guy then. I just thought he was a guy that showed up on Saturdays at 2 o'clock Atlantic time for right. the NBC Game of the Week. And then... You know, you, you learn he's doing the Dodgers games and then that Kirk Gibson call in 1988. I remember going to Florida in December of 1988 and hunting down a Kirk Gibson rookie card. I needed to have it because that was such an epic moment. And it was such a perfect epic moment and it was made better by the right. best, Vin Scully. And the best, the best make average moments great and they take great moments and just make them forever. And that's what Vin Scully could yeah. do. I yeah. mean, uh, and he didn't need... The, the beauty of it is, and, and I understand some people just love excitement, mm -hmm. and they will, like, a, yeah, you yeah, know, like yeah. a Gus Johnson who's yelling yeah. and screaming. They just love it. And I get that. But he was able to do the very same thing, come to the yeah. very same conclusion with this understated understanding of the game, and, the time, and that's what impressed me and, the most. And such a great storyteller. And for me, yeah. what makes a great storyteller, it's, it's the management of the economy of words. Correct. Every word he used counted, and he made yeah. his words count, and those words took you to a place. And he's just a master storyteller. There's a great piece that Merrick tweeted out of Vince Scully with the Stanley Cup in the booth in the L.A. Kings. He's turned around, he's talking to the Kings with his back to the play, and then he just turned around, and there's a ball, and right back, <laughs> and talking about the New York Rangers in the 1940s, the team he loved, and putting in a connection with the Kings. He was just a storyteller. He was a natural storyteller, and baseball more than any other sport when it comes to broadcasting, just gives that space for terrific storytellers, and he was the best. Uh, and that's, like, almost roundly the best. And yeah. you don't often hear that yeah. in anything. But if you ask anyone in baseball who was the best, almost inevitably they yeah. get to Vin Scully. We have a Mount Rushmore on Twitter right yeah, now. I want to get tough. yours a little later on. Yeah. But uh, we have one of the uh, the best and brightest in baseball as well. Joining us now is Ken Rosenthal. Comes uh, on the show 24 hours or about 24 hours after the deadline. Ken, thanks for doing this. And, and what's your Vince? I know that you spent a lot of your career on the other coast from Vin, but uh, uh, undoubtedly you crossed paths with him. I did, and I never actually 
really spoke to him or met him, he was the one person that I was sort of afraid to go up to. And the thing is, guys, he's the person that you should be the least afraid to go up to. The way he carried himself, he was so gracious and kind to people. And the one beautiful thing about Twitter on in situations like this is you hear the stories come <clears throat> come out, excuse me. And many broadcasters today are tweeting their memories of how Vin was kind to them on a certain day or a point in their careers when they were struggling. And that's universal. That's everyone saying this. And it wasn't a situation where he was kind to people at his level or people just below. He was kind and gracious to everyone. And the other thing that stands out to me, guys, and you spoke really well about this, both of you, the way he described baseball and situations in baseball guys like me we sit here at our computers trying to think of the right words someone wrote this today he spoke off the top of his head better than any of us could write that is an astonishing skill to those of us who do this and what a joy for people to listen to his research was incredible he knew seemingly everything about every player and i just thought he was one of the parts about baseball that made it so special and the memories of him are so fond all across north america today it's just kind of a beautiful thing to behold yeah i think it's a fantastic celebration 94 passed away at home i think that's the way any of us would like to go out uh well remembered um is there a moment that ken that you can recall as a as a kid just becoming aware of Vince Skelly, for me, it was the, the Saturday game of the week and then the, the Kirk Gibson thing, and I thought, because I was a Dave Van Horn guy, right? I was an Expos guy. And then I thought, wow, this guy, this Vince Skelly good. guy's good, yeah. too. Was there a moment you became aware of him as a kid? Actually, no. And the reason for that is I wasn't just a baseball fan as a kid. I loved all the sports. And if you ask me, my favorite team growing up of all the teams in the professional sports, I think Tim knows this, it was the New York Islanders. I was a big hockey fan. So Jiggs McDonald then? Was it Jiggs? Yeah, well, I I lived in a neighborhood with Chico Resch. He lived down the street from me. So that was me growing up. So I wasn't really aware. But I became aware, obviously. And the thing that I love to do the most, I do this once in a while now, is watch not just the Gibson home run, but the entire at-bat. It's Mm -hmm. about a 10-minute video on YouTube. It is incredible. The way he describes the moment, builds the moment, and then, of course, nails the moment. And then the silence after the home run, which is a underrated thing about certain broadcasters, their ability to let the moment speak for itself. It's just, to me, one of these things that it's hard to even fathom how you do that. And he does it or did it live. And that is what was just so amazing about him. And I would just enjoy, like so many of us, just watching a game from L.A. in recent years, even yeah. even before he retired, shortly before, when he was still pretty much at the top of his game, just to listen to him, it was a joy. And there was a warmth that came through the screen when he was talking. And again, I just relished it. And most baseball fans, actually all baseball fans, I trust, would say the same. Yeah, uh, people don't remember what you said. They remember how they made you, how you made them feel. And that definitely... He had that ability. All right, um, let, let's move on to the deadline if we can. I know winners and losers is clickbait, and you never really know who won or lost for years, but can I get your winners? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> who caught your attention the most, Ken, at this deadline? Tim, that's 
a pretty obvious answer. That yeah. would be the Padres. Yeah. They grabbed all of us by the throat and said, look at us. We're doing this. It was astonishing to see what they pulled off and frankly refreshing because in this day and age, so many teams are so hesitant to trade prospects, reluctant to take any chances, do anything that might not be perceived as maximum efficiency. So the Padres don't seem to operate by those rules. They seem to play by their own rules. And honestly, it's exciting. Now, I wrote today about how, listen, we don't know how this is going to turn out. You pay the piper down the road. Okay, that's all true. But it said at the same time, if they're not worried about it, maybe we shouldn't worry about it. So they definitely caught my attention the most, and they caught everyone's attention the most. It wasn't even close. Can we hammer down just for a split second? And I know that, listen, adding adding Soto to Machado and to Tatis Jr. is sexy, and a lot of people love the sexy move. But I, I know in the past you asked, how are they going to sustain this? And about two weeks ago, when people started tying the Jays to Soto, I asked the same thing. Like, how do the Jays sustain Guerrero Bichette and Soto if they got them and what are you mortgaging to get Soto does that make sense is there a point where AJ Preller does have to pay the piper like is there what's your what's your take on all of that because I brought you up when I when I was when I was talking about this earlier in the show I'm not sure financially that there is necessarily a restraint on them we've seen this now they are over the threshold again this is a team that plays in San Diego it's not Los Angeles Their owner does not seem to have a concern about that. So other teams, the Jays probably being one of them, actually certainly being one of them, they have a limit, a budget. Not that the Padres don't, but that limit seems to be beyond their market size. (laughs) That is one thing. So that maybe isn't such a concern. They're above the threshold again. They don't seem to worry about that. They'll pay a penalty, whatever. The bigger concern to me is players will get older. At some point, Machado is the oldest of this group right now. You're also going to have a situation where not you run out of prospects, but you don't have the same group. Now, the Padres seem to be in that situation about a year ago, and they replenished quickly. A number of the players they traded here were either 2021 draft picks or 2021-22 international signings. They are confident that their scouting and player development staffs can keep doing this, keep churning out players, and maybe they're right. But... Historically, if you look at the way teams operate, this is not necessarily a great model because you're going to have a top-heavy payroll, which they sort of have right now. You're not going to have enough inexpensive complementary players to balance out that whole situation. Again, right now, it doesn't seem to be a concern, but you look at those six names right there, actually not Luke Lloyd, the five names at the top, (laughs) those are big names in the prospect world. doesn't mean they'll all succeed, but... A couple of them probably will succeed, maybe even more than that. And at some point, you wonder if it just all kind of backfires on them. But you know what? For now, let's stop talking about efficiency and prospects and money and just enjoy watching Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado play on the same team. It's going to be amazing. Exactly, Kenny. I'm Listen, Ric Flair is still wrestling. He's 73 years old. He wrestled his final match. I'm all for putting the pedal to the metal and going for it. I know a lot of Jays fans are for that. Uh, they did not get that. What would your message be to Blue Jays fans right now? Blue Jays operated like most teams operate now. And I should say one more thing about the Padres before I continue on the Jays. 
if they win a World Series, guys, which they've never done in their history, 54 years, then it all kind of is worth it. And they're going to make a lot of money, too. Now, as for the Jays, they showed considerably more restraint, quite obviously. And their party line, I saw Russ Atkins' quotes today was, well, we wanted to keep our core intact. We wanted to make sure this keeps going forward. That's all well and good, and I understand that. These additions were certainly not bad, and I sort of like what they did in some ways. I like the addition of Merrifield because he's a guy that actually I think is a winning player who will help them because he's so versatile, can do a lot of different things offensively and defensively. And the bullpen, while they could have done better, Josh Hader was traded, you know, they did okay. And Pop and Bass, they should be useful parts for them, much like some of the other believers that they've acquired in recent years have been. They're not lockdown people, but they're useful, effective relievers. So what they did is fine, but we're going to see. This all plays out. The beauty of a baseball mm-hmm. season, actually any sports season, is the truth comes out in the end. If they're good enough, okay, they did fine. If they're not good enough, then you're going to question at the deadline, okay, where were you on this guy, on that guy? Why didn't you overpay for perhaps a starting pitcher? That might have been a better alternative than you say Kikuchi. We're running out of time here. In fact, we are out of time. But it, there's a feeling around here that they swung and missed on something or someone, and that's why we saw moves at the deadline. Did you get any sense of that uh, in, in your work yesterday? I did not get that sense. Now, yesterday was a little bit frenzied, and yeah. I didn't talk to enough people, and I'm still kind of working on that. I did not get the sense that they did anything other than what they wanted to do. Now, I would imagine... They tried to get Rodon or some of these other starting pitchers that were seemingly available but not available, and they found, like many other teams did, that the prices were too high. There's one team that didn't operate by that theory, and that's the team that everyone's talking about today. (laughs) Uh, Kenny, thanks for doing this. always appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ken. Ken Rosenthal, uh, The Athletic, and will be on Fox, one of the best in the business. Yeah, that's baseball with him all day long, Yeah. Easy. Vince Scully memories. Well. Easy. Uh, Jesse Rubinoff. Yeah, we were supposed to do this earlier in the show. We're going to do it now. A little Bet Rivers action? Let's, uh, let's check it out. Let's check out the odds powered by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Uh, the post trade deadline World Series odds are out. And I'm going to get your opinion on where the Blue Jays sit 1,400. So 14 to 1 for the Blue Jays. Obviously, there was a pretty significant premium for the teams that are currently locked into those buys. The Jays nowhere near the odds for the Yankees and the Astros, but you get into the dance and anything can happen. That's something that we've already discussed on the show yesterday. So plus 1,400, perhaps some value there. And then you look at the American League as well and the Toronto Blue Jays once again, uh, not quite near the Astros and Yankees, but it is important to note that they are significantly ahead of the other teams that are sort of jostling for those wild card spots. The Seattle Mariners plus 1,700, the Jays plus 650. So uh, perhaps some value, especially when it comes to the World Series number for the Toronto Blue Jays. But it looks like the odds are sort of building in the fact that the Yankees and Astros are better than everybody else in the American League. Uh, Two things jump out at me. One, that from around plus 1,700, the San Diego Padres have gone to 11 to 1 mm-hmm. and plus 1100 mm-hmm. even though they play 
uh, in the same division and will end up in the same spot as the Los Angeles Dodgers in the postseason. And shockingly, not enough respect paid towards the Chicago White Sox, whose manager fell asleep in the no, bottom of the first inning. It was the first inning. It was the first, first inning. Yeah, uh, man, I thought I'd get a tough time getting through this show. <laughs> you guys were uh, Sorry talking about you, up. you guys were talking about Juan Soto uh, with Ken, and you just mentioned the Padres' odds. Um, there is a special on Bet Rivers right now. Juan Soto or Josh Bell, the two newcomers in that trade, to hit a home run against the Rockies. Today is August the third, I believe, so that would be tonight. Plus 177 that, yes, one of them, it is, a, is it an or, not an and, it is an or, that one of the two guys will hit a home run against the Rockies tonight if you like dabbling in specials, which Bet Rivers does a very good job of organizing for you to do. All right, Play responsibly if you do do that. All right, time for a break. When we come back, uh, talk a little football. One of Kenny Reed's uh, favorite guys. A lot of brand. I know, I know Kyle Brandt is like... You're, he, he's another one of those man crushes, but Adam Rank's got to be pretty damn close. He's there. He's right there. Yeah. But, but man, Brent's just so handsome. He's a handsome man. Yeah. Adam <laughs> so Rank, man. good look. I like Rank's head. No offense, Rank. Yeah, good haircut. <laughs> Welcome back to Tim and Friends, Tim McAuliffe, Ken Reed, Jesse Rubinoff, and we go apparently to Deerfield, Illinois to bring in our next guest, old friend of the show from the NFL Network. It is Adam Rank. Did I get that correct? Are you in Deerfield, Illinois? Oh my gosh. For Didn't Bears you see Camp. The the, uh, the hotel wall art behind I'm me. Going to ask you about that. It. Yeah, is that a yes. Van Gogh? What is that? What is that? What's yeah, that's where the, each room comes with a Van Gogh. <laughs> very very yeah. high tech. It's spelled V-A-N-G-O. Yeah. Van Gogh. Van Gogh. <laughs> now, now, Rank, uh, you're making the rounds here. You are an unabashed Chicago Bears fan. You're yes, at Chicago Bears camp right now. You're the fantasy guy for the NFL Network. On all I can think of is when Kramer went to Yankees fantasy camp and Seinfeld says his whole life's a fantasy. Is your entire life a fantasy? Pretty much. I, you know, honestly, it all started off in Cincinnati this weekend, going out to, for the uh, for the defending AFC champions for their back to back together Saturday. Great event out there in Cincinnati. Wonderful city. And then being able to come out to Chicago, of course, I'm minutes. From the hospital of where I was born, down in Park Ridge, Illinois. So this is a, a momentous occasion for me, and uh, I'm excited. And then, listen, I realize how fortunate I am to be able to do this, and you know, lucky enough to go out and cover one of the teams I grew up rooting for. So it's been a it's been an absolute fantasy, as you would say. Ken. It's funny that you refer to the hospital because when I look at that photo picture behind you, I see a pregnant woman. That is what I see. Yeah. I see a, 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 someone carrying a child. It, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought. That's the impressionist. <laughs> it's from, the, it's from the, the Van the Van Gogh series of impressions. Okay. This is pregnant lady. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll get to your uh, your dream team in a second, but I want to start with the defending AFC champs. What's your impression of the starting quarterback riding on a golf cart and what they will be this year? Because let's be honest. Uh, if you lose in a Super Bowl, oftentimes it doesn't go all that well for you the next year. Yeah, you often disappear and you're not heard from again. And we just, oh, yeah, remember the year that the Cincinnati Bengals made a run to the Super Bowl? But a lot of those teams don't have a quarterback of the caliber of Joe Burrow. And I think that's the one thing where I would tell Bengals fans or anybody who follows the NFL, like, your team is going to be competitive as long as Joe Burrow is healthy now obviously he's dealing with the appendix but that's fine last year 
at this point last season, you know, people were wondering if he was going to be able to return from his knee injury. And so with the appendix, I think that, that that's no big deal to me. He'll be able out he'll be able to go out there and throw the football. And you can make the case that the Cincinnati Bengals are better considering the moves that they made to foster the offensive line. Remember, Joe Burrow was yeah. sacked 70 times last season, including 19 times in the playoffs. The final game offensively for the Bengals was blown up by Aaron Donald. So the Bengals might be a little bit better this season. We just showed the Bet Rivers odds for Super Bowl. The Buffalo Bills are right up at the top, and so many fans here in Southern Ontario are members of the Bills Mafia. What's your take on Buffalo right now? Yeah, it feels like one of those things where they're building their way up to be the eventual champions. It's like when you saw Cody Rhodes appear in WrestleMania. You're like, well, at some point, he's going to defeat Roman Reigns. Now, obviously, <laughs> right now, he's he's dealing with the, the torn pectoral muscle. Obviously. And, obviously, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That... That thing when he when he showed up, what was it? That, that was, was gross. It was not cool. I I don't know how any human being, whether you like professional wrestling or not, it's still a physical stunt show. And he went <laughs> out is. there and performed with that. And but it just feels like but we all assume, you know, WrestleMania being at SoFi Stadium this year, Cody Rhodes is gonna end up being the champion. The Bills have that same kind of feel. Like, oh, okay, we're just waiting for them to come in and take over last year that game against the Kansas City Chiefs many consider to be the greatest game of all time everything is firing on all cylinders for them I love the draft pick James Cook as well uh, if we're looking for a little fantasy for a little yeah, fantasy too. advice he's somebody who I'm zeroing in on so I think the Bills this team is loaded I think Josh Allen's ready to go and I think that uh you should have some optimism there if you're a member of the Bills Mafia don't jump through a table but have some optimism. <laughs> All right, so uh, so he goes from wrestling to jumping through I a table, it. and I'm thinking, you know it. what? I think I saw someone jump through a table who did a pretty good job, uh, uh, even though I didn't want him to do a pretty good job. Even get the tables. Ne never mind. Uh, so amidst reports that Mitchell Trubisky in a drill from the two-yard line went 0 for 16 in his time with the Pittsburgh Steelers, is there optimism around Justin Fields in Chicago, even though it was kind of an up-and-down first year for the Bears pivot? Yeah, I believe that a lot of people are pinning that on the coaching. And I think yeah. any time that you draft a quarterback uh, in the first round that you would, I don't know, give them first-team reps – maybe not make him defer to Andy Dalton, perhaps design an offense that would really cater to his strengths. None of that happened last year for Justin Fields. And I feel like he and Trevor Lawrence both got kind of a raw deal. You know, Trevor Lawrence had to deal with that as well. Yeah. So I think that, you know, when you look at Justin Fields, last year he had a passer rating of 99.9 .9 on in-rhythm throws. His passer rating on the run was one of the best in the NFL. If they can establish him, and now they brought in, you know, uh, Luke Getze as the offensive coordinator, they're going to be using a lot of the zone blocking schemes. If they can get him into a rhythm, use his ability to run the football, I think he can take a step forward this year. Mr. Ranka, we have plum run out of time here on, uh, on Tim and Already? Ben. They yeah. warned me that I was going to be up against the time, the, the, the dreaded yeah. time slot. But, You're like uh, Rick Flair, you can only do 10 minutes. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you know what it was? We were reminiscing about Vin Scully, and we got caught up with Ken Rosenthal. And uh, that makes sense. And you, along with apparently, uh, according to Twitter, some of my facts, paid the price for it. But we always appreciate you dropping by. Hey, thanks for having me. Always good to see you, and uh, even Ken. 
I, Thanks, I, I buddy. Say, but, <laughs> of course, but even Ken. Uh, hopefully we catch you in the next hotel, in the next small town, along this journey that <laughs> see is you, NFL camp. There's Adam Rank of the NFL Network. We'll see you guys. Adam Rank is good TV. He is Adam good Rank TV. Is good and TV. He's, a lot of, he's good human. He's mm-hmm. good people. He's Absolutely. Good people. Uh, all right, we're going to take a break. Last call coming up next. I'll tell you what I screwed up, even though I'm not Jay on right. And uh, Jesse Rubinoff will take over. The last call. All right, sometimes in this business, you got to own up to things. And I want to own up to something. Ken Reed, Tim McAuliffe, Jesse Rubinoff. Uh, Mark wrote in and said, hey, Tim McAuliffe, if you truly want to honor Vin Scully, who is one of the greatest broadcasters ever in sports, you might want to do your homework and know that he died yesterday at the age of 94 years old, not at 88, like you said, on your show when speaking with Dan Schulman. Uh, I do stand corrected. Bill Russell, of course, died at the age of 88. When you ad-lib two hours of a show, sometimes you make mistakes. It happens. I apologize for making that mistake, but I would like to correct it. You are forgiven. Yeah, not a mistake anymore. Uh, Speaking of the Mount Rushmore, we never got your Mount Rushmore. I got my Mount Rushmore. We got several viewers' Mount Rushmores, and it's hard. It's hard for two broadcast sports sports broadcast nerds like us. So, I mean, if you ask me any day, it could be different, but there's two guys that are on for sure. Danny Gallivan. Yeah, there you go. Bob Cole. Yeah. Dave Van Horn was the Expos from when I was a kid. He was oh, my Presidente. baseball soundtrack. Oh, and perfecto. you know I love my local stuff. And one of the voices I grew up as a kid is going to be on my Mount Rushmore is John Brother McDonald. He was the local radio voice on CKEC in Pictou County, Nova Scotia. He played in the APC Baseball League. A lot of guys came up and played that. Uh, college guys came up and went right to the majors from it. John Brother played in it. He was a Pictou County guy who meant so much to the sports community. Every weekday at 10 to 8, Rod Mackey would say, and now we'll look at sports, here's John Brother McDonald, and, and Rod and John Brother would always go, thank you, Rod, good morning, sports fans. And no matter what happened the night before, Oilers could have won the Cup, Jays could have won the World Series, Tim Raines could have hit for the cycle, he'd go, in Trenton Major fastball last night, Craig Christian said one, two for three, in the Steel Town. He, so John Brother McDonald, he was one of my original voices of sports, but yeah, Danny Galvin, Bob Cole, yeah. Dave Van Horn, but it's impossible to pick. It John Brother, it's impossible to pick. Just I'll, I'll say this: I love the guys that make you feel like home, and what you're describing yes. in, in, and is is home. home. And there are guys and the guys who just bring you into it. And yeah. Danny Galvin and Bob Cole. I swear, between the two of them, they didn't tell you a stat for 60 years combined, <laughs> yeah. and it didn't matter. Yeah. People don't remember numbers; they remember stories. And Danny Galvin and Bob Cole—they brought you right into the Montreal Forum or Maple Leaf Gardens, wherever that game was, and they made you a part of it. And that, to me, was a great sports broadcaster. Whenever I do play-by-play, I try and think of what it's like to be in the building because Bob Cole did that yes. so well. So did Danny Gallivan, but they they projected the energy of the building to you sitting at home on your couch. I haven't done it since 1998, but I wanted you right in there with the old Junior A, Olin Exports at the yeah. Dartmouth Sportsplex with me. Yeah, that, absolutely. That's awesome. I've called enough uh, amateur sporting events too. I can so still I call it off my that. TV sometimes. All the time. Yeah. I thought your fourth yeah. was going to be Teapot. No, he wasn't a broadcaster. Yeah. T's Mount Everest. <laughs> you bring him up anytime. Yeah, Mount Everest. Teapot is Mount Everest. Teapot is the peak. Right. Teapot is Mount Everest. And 
I would like to add, since my last appearance, I think I pointed it out, Teapot did win the lobster banding competition at the Lobster Carnival again. Okay, not surprised. Sure, yeah. Not yeah, surprised not surprised. At all. Uh, the NFL is appealing the decision to suspend Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson for six games. Retired judge Sue L. Robinson, who was jointly appointed by the NFL and NFLPA, released the decision on Monday. The league had reportedly been pushing for Watson to be suspended for the full season. Commissioner Roger Goodell will now decide who will hear the appeal. It could be Goodell himself or someone of his choosing. Watson's lawyers had threatened to sue the league if they appealed. Tim, how do you see this playing out? With the help of Ian Rappaport yesterday, I think there's a lot of bluff calling going on here. And yeah. that to me is real interesting because we're going to see some dirty laundry aired from the NFL in the blind. Like the thing about the Stephen Ross thing and the Brian Flores thing yesterday that was missing was any of the racial discrimination. Like we heard all about the tampering and Tom Brady and this and that and pick and no one addressed the racial discrimination in any way, shape or form. And we're going to hear it when Flores goes to court. And I thought the NFL was going to let this go by so that they wouldn't have their dirty laundry right. aired. But now it's it. If they go to court, it's going to end up in court. And if it does, we're going to hear some dirty laundry here about what's going on with the NFL. And is Roger Goodell actually going to decide this himself? There's no way, is the it? Whole, the whole purpose of this whole thing was so that the NFL wouldn't have to decide themselves. And it's going to go right back. People, people with power like power. It's a fact. That is a fact. Power corrupts, too. All right, uh, let's go to Tom also. Brady, who is celebrating his 45th birthday today. In week one, he'll become the ninth person How good he looks. to play in the NFL at the age of 45, at 45 or older. Than he Here's the crazy stat. Time. Here's the crazy stat. The oldest since 1925. Wow. Ken, are you sick of Tom Brady? Absolutely not. Why would I be sick of him? He's fantastic. He's still doing what he does. You can't be sick of it. It's, you can't be sick of greatness. How, how old are you? I'm older than Tom Brady. How much older than Tom Brady? Quite a bit. Are you? Yeah, I uh, am. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm only know, two years older than Tom Brady. Like, I'm 46 right now. That guy's playing in the NFL. Look at yeah. me. I'm tired <laughs> from getting up and taking my kid to hockey school. Yeah. Today. Today, yeah. I, today I made a noise tying up my shoes. Like, <laughs> That's why I don't wear laces, buddy. Yeah. Don't yeah. wear yeah. laces. No laces. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Okay, uh, Bianca Andreescu lost to American Shelby Rogers in the first round of the Silicon Valley Classic in San Jose on Tuesday. Andreescu struggled with a back injury during the loss and was reportedly scheduled to undergo an MRI. But today, Bianca posted this message on Instagram. Quote, hi, everyone. Yesterday was a tough match for me in San Jose. I felt some discomfort in my back, but I am now on my way back to Toronto to rest a bit and get ready to play next week hey. on Tuesday night. Can't wait to see y'all out there. So uh, great news, obviously, because you want to see Bianca there. Meanwhile, Rebecca Marino is through to the quarterfinals of the City Open in Washington, D.C. Marino beat Germany's Andrea Pekovic today after beating Venus Williams on Monday. Marino will now face Australia's Daria Seville, who beat top seed Jessica Pagula today. Marino received a wild card entry into the upcoming National Bank Open. So, Tim, yeah. who are you most excited to see next week? Well, Bianca is going to be there. Serena is going to be there. It sounds like it's a, a pretty good field. Uh, Venus is going to be there. Marino just beat. The, uh, this Mar Rebecca Moreno story is wonderful. And I don't know if you've seen her record this year, but she is 32 and 14 after spending four years off battling health issues. And not that she's old, but she's, you know, yeah, 31 she's, for tennis isn't a kid. No, and she's and she's 
putting some money in her pockets. She's going back to Vancouver. It's nice. Uh, Kenny, thanks for doing this. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, I think she's going to the Van Open after the National yeah. Bank, which is very cool to see her go home. So just a story that I want to get in there quickly. Can I say something quickly? Yeah. Good night, Charlie. My mom said to say hi to Charlie Landry. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Charlie.